please turn in your Bibles with me to Genesis 1. As you're doing so, Elliot was a missionary, not to the Native American missionaries in North America, um, but was an international missionary that was going to bother me. But today we are here to continue our study of the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1. If you were with us last week, we covered the first two verses. And this morning, we will be covering the rest of the verses in this chapter, verses 3 through 31. Last week, we talked about how God's eternality is on display in this moment of divine power. This attribute of God serves to drive us finite beings to the infinite, God himself. We also spoke about how the first moment of creation was the formation of the heavens and the earth. The English translation of tohu wavohu tells us it was formless and void. And this doesn't alarm us. This does not make us question God's creative power. Instead, we see it as a breath. We see it as a moment in this work. And as we pick up today in verse 3, you will see and, and then God continues this creative act. This morning, we are going to read a bit of an extended passage. Normally, I would not bite off 28 verses uh, for a sermon text. But last week, we saw the power and the majesty of God in, in just a, a moment. And today, we're going to fill the ripples, the repercussions, and the impacts of that as we read um, through this entire creation narrative. We're going to be reading about the designing and forming of the earth as we know it. And what I want you to be paying attention to as we unpack this passage is that God is intentional in everything that he does. Everything works together as it should and fulfills God's ultimate plan. With that in mind, would you turn your attention with me to our text as we hear just how the world as we know it came to be. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place. Let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, Plants yielding seed according to their own kind. Trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its own kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and morning the third day. 
And God said, Let there be light in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. And let them be light in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas. Let the let birds multiply on the earth. There was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with its seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life. I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus ends the reading of God's word. May he place these truths upon all of our hearts and bless the hearing of it. Would you go with me now in prayer as we ask his blessing upon this time? Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we are simply amazed. We are amazed at the created world that you have blessed us with. We are amazed with the complexity and the detail. We are amazed that creation follows its ordinances just as you have called it to be. Father, we are amazed that you have recorded this for us to read and to enjoy and to ponder. And I ask, O oh Lord, that you would be with us now, through your Holy Spirit, open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts, that we might truly receive your word and let it transform our lives. God, you are a God of order, not a God of chaos. You are a God with intentionality, and you are a God who loves your people. And we thank you for that, Father. 
We ask that you reveal these truths to us as we unpack your word this morning and this time. We pray all of these things in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. Before we dig into such a rich passage, and this is a, an, an incredibly rich passage, I do want to make one quick clarifying comment uh, that I needed to have made last week. Verse 2 um, in your account ends with, And the Spirit of God was hovering over the faces of the water. The inclusion of the Holy Spirit at that point may seem odd or out of place, especially since I added it in on sermon application questions. If you had flock group and you got to ponder that last week without an answer, um, well, there is an answer to why that is happening. We've talked about that Moses is the author of this book. However, he did not see these events take place. Uh, and so he had to get his information from another source. And where would that come from? Well, it could only come from someone who was there when it did take place. We know the writers of God's word write through the inspiration or power of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, Moses, inspired by the Holy Spirit who was present, was able to write for us detailed, explicit, delicate words accurately depicting what took place. Thus, the need for the Holy Spirit to be present at creation and the need for Moses to include that um, at the end of verse 2. And this is going to be important as we go on today, as you see the details, the amount of information just really expands, doesn't it? Um, all of a sudden, in just 28 verses, we now have a created world. And so I wanted to make sure that, that we were aware of that and, and that I stated that clearly uh, because it will only aid us as we unpack our passage that is before us. With that being said, I also want to address the fact that within the last 150 years, um, there have been uh, debates and differences on how this account is to be understood. Uh, before 150 years ago, most scholars agreed the creation story was to be taken literally, as in, God created the world and all of the things in it within six literal 24-hour day periods, known as the 624 view, known as the literal creation view. Um, it has other titles. Recently, though, as in the within 150 years, uh, there have been other theories that have been proposed, uh, some of which uh, the gap theory, uh, day-age theory, intermittent day theory, and framework view. Each of these views are trying to reconcile the modern interpretation of the age of the earth with what they see in the text. Nobody that I'm aware of that holds to any of these views are trying to undermine the biblical account. Now, there are people that are trying to do that, uh, but I do know people that hold to some of these views, and that is not what they have in mind. That being said, for me personally, for John Calvin, Martin Luther, and the writers of the Westminster Confession of Faith, we find it safest to hold to a literal view of the days of creation. Some people have asked, that is how I understand this, um, and I, I give it to you for this reason. When I read this text, when I read that detailed story, I read literal days. I read it and I think literal days. 
any other interpretation of that account, you have to pull something outside of the Bible to get there. I think that that can be a dangerous precedent and we need to be very careful about that. That being said, there are a lot of people a lot smarter than I am that hold to different views on this topic, people I love dearly. And so I will take the stance that our denomination takes as long as you or those people are arguing for a creation as it took place in God's word and you're not trying to undermine what God said in God's word, I think you are safe to hold to those views. We can talk about that more later if, if you would like to discuss um, some of my reason and, and rationale. But at the end of the day, I will say what I said last week. There's not a lot of bearing on your view with what we're going to be talking about from here forward. Uh, because what we need to see, what we need to discuss is God's creative work and God's creative power, how he does it and why he does it. But I know that a lot of you want to, to know and you want to be settled in that or, or you want to have a topic to debate with me and that is wonderful and I'm glad to do that um, with you at, at other times. I, I love God's word and I love discussing it. But back to the big picture, God is doing something very particular with this creation account. In fact, this morning, I want us to see three world-shaping decisions by God throughout our passage. First, I want us to see that God imparts order into creation. We'll find that throughout our passage, but particularly in verses 3 through 10. Secondly, I want us to see how God displays the power to create and produce life. This comes from God and exclusively belongs to God. We'll find that in 11 through 26, uh, once again, broadly, actually, in our whole passage. And then finally, I want to conclude by seeing how mankind is the pinnacle of God's creative work. And we'll find that in 26 through 31. And I really do believe that's the thrust of this passage and is the direction we're going to be headed even as we begin um, in verse 3. So I want you to keep those in mind. You can find those in the outline in your insert um, as we walk along this text. But let's begin by speaking to how God creates and imparts order into his world. And if you were paying attention as we read through this account, you should have noticed several phrases that were repeated over and over again. In fact, with each of the six days of creation, with a little bit of variance, we get a very defined pattern. On almost every day, we get the following. God speaks. He declares, let there be. It comes to pass. God calls it by name. God declares it good. And then the pattern ends with morning and evening, the nth day. Take day one, for example. And God said... Let there be light. And there was light. The light was good. And God separated the light from darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and morning the first day. And this pattern continues on through each of the days of creation with God looking upon all of his work on the sixth day and saying, and it is very good. Now, why do I think that it is important for us to see this? I believe, first off, this is a fulfillment of God bringing order into the void and darkness that we saw in verses 1 and 2. 
God takes that which is empty and he fills it with his creation. This speaks to his character. This also speaks to his power. And it shows us ultimately that God can and that God does. And we need to understand that God speaks into existence all that we know and live by by uttering this cycle eight times. That's remarkable. That, that truly is. Eight utterances in the created universe comes to shape and to order. Now, if you were here last week, I did encourage you to go out into nature and take a moment and appreciate it. It was a very cold and dreary week. And so if you didn't, that's okay in your head. Just imagine the created world. I stood in our, my yard and I watched the snow melt um, and go into the drain um, and then from there it went wherever water goes and it goes underground. Um, I have watched enough uh, PBS shows with my uh, son to know eventually it will make its way to the ocean. Um, it helps refill the ocean, give water to the fish, um, and then it is evaporated to begin this whole uh, cycle called the water cycle. And over and over and again and again, repetition after repetition after repetition. Now, we do see God separate the heavenly waters from the earthly waters here in our text, but there's no mention of the water cycle. In fact, it's not going to rain until the flood. We're not going to get there till much later in our study of Genesis. And yet, by God speaking, let there be waters, let there be land, let there be light, let there be darkness, let there be sea creatures, let there be creatures on it. All of that, everything comes into play, including gravity, including the water cycle, including the seasons. All of these things come into place by these simple words God uttered, which just further shows us and reminds us of the detail and complexity that God gives to this world one degree closer or further away from the sun, and we would either melt or freeze to death. That, that fine. And a lot of you work in very technical fields, and you know how easy it is to be off a degree. <laughs> you know how easy that, that is well within the margin of error of some of what some of you do. <laughs> now, some of you, that's not acceptable. And it's not for us as human beings. And yet God got it right. Just by uttering, let it be. And it was so... And that's remarkable to me. It, it, it truly, truly is remarkable to me. But another aspect of God's ordering of creation I don't want us to miss is the intentional order in which God creates. I actually first learned about this while studying the framework view for creation. Um, look to see what I mean. There is a clear and definite forming and filling taking place in our account. Day one, God creates light and darkness. Day two, God creates water and sky. Day three, God creates dry land and vegetation. Now think of those as spheres of existence, as places to be filled. And then what does God do? God fills them. Day one, light and darkness. Day four, sun, moon, and stars. Day two, day three, day four, water and sky, birds and fish. Day three, dry land and vegetation. Day six, land, animals, and mankind. So God creates the avenue, God creates the sphere for the thing to exist, and then God creates the thing that needs to exist in it. There's a definite pattern. God does not create fish without a place to put them. He does not hang the moon until there's a place for it to dwell. God intelligently designs his creation. 
He does not just pour it all out and let it fall where it may. This goes against the views of creation as well as different stories such as the Big Bang, the evolutionistic mindset, where things just sort of work out for the best, and if it doesn't, it'll change in a million years. No, God is very specific. God is very definite in what he does. He's not a God of chaos. He's not like the mythical gods who cannot be trusted or are not consistent. And this is vital for us as believers. We need a God we can rely on. We need a God that is powerful enough to handle the problems that we face. And that's what we get in the God of the Bible. His power and His majesty cannot be matched down to the molecular level. And we see this um, probably in, in one of its greatest ways in His power to create life itself. We see that in our passage. Um, look with me as we continue down. And, and here forward, once we get to um, verses 11 forward, we get more and more narrow focused. Uh, we get more and more detailed and, and more and more specific in what's happening. Um, you get uh, all, not just a bird, but the birds, the birds of their kind. You get the, the sea creatures and the sea creatures of their kind. You get the, the beast of the field and of their kind. You, you get um, a, a plurality of creation. And something's unique at this point. You know, when he created the earth, it was the earth, and there it was. When he, when he created the ocean, it, it, it is there, and there it was. When the stars, and there they are, and that's just where they've been, and that's where they will be until he decides to do elsewise. But when he gets to this point um, in day three with the plants, and then in four, five, and six, he creates something that has the ability to create. He creates something that has life, and can thus give life or reproduce. And this is remarkable. If you've ever seen something be born, um, an animal, a human being, um, if you watched a bird hatched, if you anything, if you've, you've seen the reproductive cycle of anything on this creative earth, you will have to come to the conclusion um, it, it is volatile. Um, it is gross, um, and it, from my perspective, and, and it is precise. It is precise. Everything has to happen at the exact moment in the exact way, going through the details with temperature and time and pressure, and all of those things have to come forth exactly right for life to happen. I think, actually, one of the best commentators to explain to us this phenomenon um, is a man by the name of Dr. Malcolm. Um, he is from the book series, later turned into a very loosely based and not nearly as good movie series, Jurassic Park. And he quips when the scientists tell him that they've engineered dinosaurs that cannot nor will they reproduce, he actually says something remarkable. Broadly speaking, the ability of the park is to control the spread of life forms. Because the history of evolution is that life escapes all barriers. Life breaks free. Life expands to new territories, painfully, perhaps, even dangerously. But life finds a way. Malcolm shook his head. I don't mean to be philosophical, but well, there it is. He credits this to evolution. Have you ever seen a plant grow through a crack in the ground, through concrete? Man put it there and said, this is where I'm going to walk, and creation said, no. No. Have you ever seen a house 
um, or an old barn or a vehicle that was uh, parked in a, in a pasture and has been reclaimed by nature. Something mankind said, here I am, here is man and nature. No. It's remarkable. It's fascinating. It, it, it is amazing how creation, with its ability and gift to have life, will have life. And, and, and Dr. Malcolm, in this fictional series, make no mistake, um, credits that to evolution, but we see this passage that we've just read and say, no, that was on purpose. That was intentional. That was by design. Now, why is this important? Well, we'll see in a moment that mankind is meant to be the pinnacle of creation. And so even here, we see that God has that in mind. Why is it important that, that life produces life, that nature um, reproduces? Well, it's because it was for man. Look at what he says in verse 28. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold... I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast and every bird and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life. I have given the green plants for food. God was creating on behalf of mankind. And prior to the fall, man had total dominion over these areas. The whole created world God has made displays His glory, His creativity, and His power. And yet all of it was simply to sustain mankind and be there for His and her enjoyment. God cares for His creation. And I've already said it in this series, but I'll say it again. This reminds us God cares for us. God cares for humanity. God cares for you and for me. And notice in our text, um, it's the reason I read a little bit further than I, I, I probably would have. Not only are humans mentioned, but everything that has breath is cared for in this passage. God did not make animals that require plants and not give them plants. That would be cruelty. God did not make fish who need water in order to survive and not give them water. No, God cares for everything that has life. I provide for you that which you need to provide and to produce life. We have begun to see at this point, hopefully, but I want to finish our time narrowing it even further. So one more degree with mankind. The buildup is, is happening. It, it, we are in a clear trajectory and I want to see us land at the appropriate place because creation displays who God is and, and creation that can bear life is a further testament to who God is and what he can do. But ultimately, we see God's creative work in man. We see that starting in verse 26. And there's a definite language shift. Um, if, you're, if you were listening through the narrative, or you look at it now, it, it shifts very hard at this point. Because we read these words. Then God said, start of our pattern, then we break from the pattern. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and the livestock and all of the earth and everything creeping that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. I want you to notice four unique features about this creation, the creation of mankind, that is, that is unique to man. 
First, God references the other members of the Trinity in this creation. Up to this point, we heard God said, God did, God created. Now, we do believe that when we see the word God, we serve a triune God, that all members of the Trinity are always present and active in those parts of God's word. But here specifically, it is mentioned. There's a point made. Let us create. And isn't that interesting? Now, some commentators disagree that if this is the best interpretation of this pronoun, uh, because the Jewish people would have had no understanding of what a triune God would have meant, um, because they've not heard that language yet. But um, Calvin and other conservative authors state clearly, we are to see this as God referencing his triune nature, even if it wouldn't be understood by the Jewish audience. None of the other creative moments require a counsel before acting upon it. And that makes sense if we understand that there had been an eternal agreement between the Trinity to get to this point. An agreement had been made in eternity past to save mankind from their would-be sin through the work of the triune God. Thus, this moment marks where there's an absolute affirmation to carry out the plan of salvation. Let us do what we have agreed to do. Let us create and follow the consequences of that creation. If we move forward from this point on, we know what's going to take place and we know what's going to be required. Therefore, let us do it. And I believe this is a window into the the mindset of God and and this wonderful momentary counsel that we get. And this is unique in the creation of man. The second unique aspect of this creation is that man and woman are created in God's image after his likeness. Again, as to be expected, there is some debate on what that means. I like how the New International Commentary of the Old Testament states it. Genesis 1 is likely using royal language to describe man. In God's eyes, all of mankind is royal. All of humanity is related to God, not just the king. Specifically, the Bible democratizes the royalistic and exclusivistic concepts of the nation of God. Thus, in the Old Testament, Israel. Basically, what the commentator is saying is mankind is like its creator, God. And what we see in our text is is the affirmation of that. Mankind shares attributes that God has. R.C. Sproul will call these communicable attributes in various uh, writings of his. Um, You can find it in Holiness of God. Um, God calls us to be holy. So God has an attribute of holiness, and we're called to be holy. We're called to be holy because he is holy. God tells Israel, be set apart. Why? Because he is set apart. We're told God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable, as being wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And then we're told to share in some of those attributes. We're told to follow in righteousness because God is righteous. We're told to follow in wisdom because God is wise. And so when we're told that we're created in his likeness after his image, we are in some ways to be like and act like God. Now be very careful with that statement that I did not say we are God and I did not say we are to become God, but we are to reflect him. And so much as he's given us the ability to do so. The third unique aspect that is to mankind is given dominion. 
Here, the, this passage commemorates that part of dignity with which he decreed to honor man. Namely, he should have authority over all living creatures. He appoints man, it is true, Lord of the world, but he expressly subjects the animals to him because they have an inclination or instinct of their own and they seem to be less under authority from without. John Calvin. God honors man by giving him, his, giving him authority. Now, who ultimately has authority? God. So again, we see what it means to be created in God's likeness. God has authority over all of creation. God shares that with man. You are after my likeness and after my image. I have authority. I will thus give you authority to share in and take part in and have responsibility over. Now, even as I say that, I note two things. One, man does not have authority unless God gives it to him. Man would have no authority at all if God did not say, here you go. Secondly, man would have nothing to have authority over if God had not made it. So in both directions, either way we go, when we denote that man has a little bit of authority from God, we still say God is in complete and total control because God is over man, God is over his creation, and God is the one that gives the authority to man himself. And so we see God sharing some responsibility with man because he created man in his image. And then lastly, we're told that after God created man, he blessed them. Now, why does God offer his blessing upon mankind? Because mankind is unique as it relates to creation. Mankind bears the image of God. No other part of creation does this. Mankind would one day receive Jesus Christ. Mankind was going to be the cause of God's greatest display of love and sacrifice through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. To this, God blesses mankind and calls him to work over all of creation. Now, admittedly, today was a quick overview of a very important passage of Scripture. I pray that you and I ponder these things and read this passage again and again. God is creator and does so in an orderly fashion. He does this because he is not a God of chaos, but he is a God of order. We see that life comes from God himself. Everything that is upon this earth that can live and produce further life receives this from God. It's not natural to creation. And ultimately, we see that mankind is the pinnacle of God's creative work. Man was created in God's image, given dominion, and is blessed by the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And to this day, this holds true. God cares for sinners like you and like me. I pray that as we look at this created world and even mankind, we see God's blessing. Now, as we will see in, in the coming chapters, when we look at this world, we do through a sin-filled lens. Not only are we sinful, uh, but the world was struck as a part of the fall. But if you squint and look really hard, you can still see the glory and the blessing shining through. Very much like a painting that has had other paintings splattered upon it, the image is still there. It's a problem with our eyes and how we see it and view it. But even in that, what I pray happens as you look at this created world and you look at humanity and you look at how God created it versus how you see it now, if nothing else, I pray you say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Make it all new. Restore that which you have made. Make again that which you did in the beginning. Make it all perfect and without sin. 
and make it for us, your people, that we may dwell with you for all eternity. That's what he's promised to do, and that's why we view this with such reverence, as we see this and we see what it should be, and we look for it to be that way, if not better, again. Until then, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, oh, how we need to cling to you. Lord, we enjoy this world that you've made. We enjoy all that you've done, and yet we know that it's not quite right. We know in our own hearts and our own sinful lives that that we fall short and that things aren't how they should be. And so first off, Lord, we ask you would forgive us. We ask that you would cover us with the shed blood of Christ. That you would cast our sin as far as the east is from the west. And that you would walk us down a path of sanctification, a process in which we're being made more and more like you every day. And help us to long for that day in which you send your son back to make all things new, and to carry us to your presence, to live there for all eternity in a new Jerusalem, in a new world, in a world that will not rot, that will not decay, and there will be no sickness, sorrow, or tears, because it will be you every day for eternity. Oh, that we would long for that, Father. That is my prayer for each one here and those joining us online, that we would long for an eternity with you. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We pray all of this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.